are you doing? <laughs> Better than you, probably, from the sound of it. Oh, no, I'm fine. What are you talking about? Um, boy, it's really uh, welcome to, well, first of all, welcome to Cameron and Brock and Two People, the podcast in which Cameron and Brock are two people. I'm Cameron, that's Brock. I am. Yeah, and uh, we're here to talk about, what are we, we're, we talk about goings on, and uh, I didn't prepare the rest. It wasn't like I decided. Current events. Yeah, current not events. Not current events. Past events, future events. Possibly. Um, and you get to uh, listen to my voice wake up over the course of an hour. Um, mm-hmm. I'm currently staring down at a Mucinex. Have you ever taken a Mucinex? I've taken more than one kind. Oh. I've taken a Mucinex, which worked, and then I took a Mucinex D, not knowing that it had the D meant it had some kind of amphetamine and um, doesn't really mix well with my constitution. And I sat there jittering on a couch for two hours. <laughs> yeah, it's got um, it's got a, uh, a DXM in it, which uh, is a was a cough suppressant, I believe. It was the D is for the D is actually short for another acronym that's short for something else. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I've never taken a Mucinex. I've I've uh, I've I've done many allergy meds in my day, but um, I think something about the cold snap that's happened here, where one day it was 85 and the next day it was like 45, mm. um, just yeah. it has thrown. I I don't know either that or a lingering cold or something. I've got like. Um, I've got like mucus deep in my chest, which is rare for me. Usually when I have mucus, it's like in all my airways and I can breathe fine. But, uh, but, the um, every once in a while I will have a cough that makes it sound like I have, um, been smoking since I was 13. Uh, and I'd like it to go away. So, right. But in the meantime, I feel like it's going to add a, that little bit of bass to your voice and it's going to make your podcasting that much more impressive. Well, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a trade-off that I'm not super into right now, which is that from, the, I don't know, the 7 to 7.45 uh, kind of time slot, I'm going to be way down here. But, <laughs> but I have to, and we have a show to play tonight, and the range that I, the vocal oh range that I execute on our my music is not way down there. And in fact, I require a good deal, deal more flexibility than my messed up chest is currently providing. Anyway, this, this well, this, I don't know. I think you're just going to need to be popping those things like candy. I well, see that. I think that's where you get into the jittering thing, which I guess is if that's what <laughs> you're into. Yeah. It's a shockingly large pill. I would say this is a also, yes, aggressively large. <laughs> Hold on, I have to take this huge pill. All right, a live, I'm, live on podcast, <clears throat> pill oh ingestion. Man. I probably should talk over this. I am notoriously bad at taking large pills. I, I think it's psychological. I don't imagine that there's some kind of physiological problem with my <sighs> body. <laughs> I did it. You okay? I, well, the thing is, I didn't have I didn't have water. I I, I got lazy and just did it with a the coffee that I just poured. So it was very, to get enough coffee to get that pill down was also very hot. Um, so there's just Who a lot going on. coffee to swallow a pill? <laughs> this is highly irregular. Apparently me now. Um, when I'm trying to swallow even medium-sized pills, I look like, you know, the dog at the vet who's trying to... <laughs> gag back up whatever it is you're trying to make them swallow I, it's i'm very poor at it i uh I, I don't know why i think like you know maybe you're very maybe you're not a very tough kid let's just hypothesize and so you kind of pick you pick achievable ways to be tough i guess I was always like down for swallowing pills without water. Like if you need two Advil, just like slam those things down and people be like, you need the water. And you're like, no, I'm good. That was your thing. Like you're like, pretty <laughs> otherwise fragile. I was not like, uh, I can hey, own this. I, I'm just, I may have, I may have been, I'm look, I'm checking enough boxes, but every once in a while, you know, you're, you're 12 and you need something to hang your hat on. 
Yeah, and you know, as a kid, that was one of those things you could legitimately just sort of pick as your thing. Um, and other kids would like, yeah, he can do this. And uh, it was sort of immaterial as a kid as to the usefulness of a trick that that you were good at. It was just, you know, anything was valid to be good at. Well, it's it's I didn't want to become like <laughs> sw- swallowing kid. I feel like that's a, you know, in general, that's a kind of tr- troubling sort of, sort of uh, novelty skill. It doesn't age well. Yeah. But uh, but you're um, you you look for little tiny wins, I guess, where you can get them. Mm-hmm. Um, once you're an adult, you know, that's a not not an actual skill and b uh no one's going to ask you that question when you're no one's going to be that concerned with you about om- almost anything when you're you know in your mid 30s by the time you're in your mid 30s if someone asked you a question like are you sure you don't need water for that or something like the 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 threshold of like how much you how concerning you have to appear to someone before someone asks you a question like that is so much higher that by the time you're getting a question like that, you're probably in dire need of actual help, just like in general, not in like specifically pill swallowing. But it, uh, you know, when you're 12, people are going to check on you about like almost anything. I don't know. I, Abigail is notorious for not needing a drink of water with pills. And every time it's I think probably just because it's so terrifying to me that I almost try to encourage her to have a class. So I you know, but then it is my wife, so that's true. It's about spousal concern is to, I'm thinking more of the dynamic of like Yeah, like I look over my desk at work right. and I see somebody trying to take an anvil and I'm like <clears throat> <clears throat> You need like a any kind of drink or get <laughs> Oh, like it. you see them trying to take an Advil like they're <laughs> see, and that's the that's concern that better. I'm talking about is that you if you look over and you see a grown adult like choking on an Advil, huh? you're gonna immediately huh? be really concerned. Hey man, it's cool. I'll get you something. Ooh. You you hold their you hold their jaw closed and then you rub their throat with <laughs> Yeah, well no, you gotta hide it in their peanut butter. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> hey man, want this? <laughs> what? Oh, hey, Julie. Hold on. You can email Cameron and Brock at gmail.com or call us at 2525 Hey Cam. That's 2525 Hey Cam and leave us a voicemail. That hasn't happened yet. I'm pretty sure it works, though. I should leave a test voicemail. Have you checked? Well, it would go straight to your. Uh, I'm pretty sure it like does that thing where it attempts to uh, attempts to like uh, dictate whatever message it is into text and then emails yeah. me about it. I think. <coughs> anyway, I'm just gonna hand one of my coworkers a bagel one day, and it's gonna have just a completely unnecessary amount of peanut butter on top, and they're gonna be suspicious. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, inside that peanut butter is going to be uh, there a one hundred percent of their daily requirement for vitamins and minerals. <laughs> it's, it's honestly very nice of you. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the good kind of spiking. <laughs> That's uh, um, okay. On that note, what do you have to talk about today? As if it is my job to have something to talk about. <laughs> No, I, that's, I kind of, I almost, you know, our, our, our city almost got wiped away by a hurricane that thankfully turned like a hundred miles to our east. That was pretty uh, intense. The, the way that there's two, I guess there's two ways that you can be happy that a hurricane didn't wipe you out. And one of them never feels very good, which is that it wiped somebody else out instead uh, mm-hmm. And the other they is praying as hard as I was. Yeah. Period. That's got to be it. Uh-huh. And then the other one is, uh, you know, it disappeared for no reason. Which, act, you know, there have been hurricanes that kind of peter out into like not scary, but uh, this was the former. I, I will say that <clears throat> as somebody who has followed hurricanes 
I wouldn't say obsessively, but it's definitely been a hobby of mine uh, over several decades. Um, and sort of how they work and the meteorology of it. This is was a highly unusual storm in that it timed everything to the to where it was rapidly intensifying as it hit. Oh. And that's that's uh not only bad, but extremely unusual. So it was like really a very not good situation. Yeah, normally they warm up in the Gulf in the warm water and then they're by the time they get to shore they're they're weakening substantially. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons. Like right, like all the surrounding atmospheric things that can happen to interfere with them. But even if the conditions are perfect, they go through cycles of like eye replacement and um, just their their natural sort of life cycles. And so you'd have to have everything be perfect. And then the timing of the um, actual storm's cycles to line up. And they certainly did. Well, say what you will about 2018. We can sure put together a solid hurricane. Mm-hmm. Eye replacement. So they mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eye wall replacement. I, oh, eye wall. Re- well, yeah. You got to, I mean, you, you got to, you got to keep your eye walls gets, fresh. Yeah. Every few years. Yeah. Um, the, I would say that, I mean, I think it's just disaster fatigue at this point, but like I, that hurricane barely, I feel like I barely heard about, heard about this one, uh, up here in the, in, uh, the, uh, by the great lakes where no hurricanes dare tra- tread. Really? Yeah, it just wasn't, uh, like, I feel like I didn't even um, hear about it, and this is very anecdotal, but I didn't even hear about it at all until, like, the day before it hit, and that was only because my family was in, uh, I was, like, the week before it hit, because my family was visiting Pensacola uh, slightly before then, and enjoying the pre-hurricane waves at the beach. Oh, that's right. They were in town. Yeah. Actually, that's another weird thing about that hurricane was that... Um had a very short lead up oh, and well, wasn't there, there you a go. big deal for very long. It was probably like three days of, Oh, well it's going to be a hurricane for sure. And then it's like, Oh, you're all going to die. Oh, so <clears throat> man. Um, in fact, my youngest son, Jules, um, who is an expert at anything he hears, about for m- more than 10 seconds, saw hurricane pictures we were looking at and asked us wh- what it was, and then proceeded for the rest of the day to lecture us about hurricanes and how they work. And um, he had a couple good ones, and I think his most comprehensive explanation was something to the effect of, it's going to spin and spin on to three f- through Florida, mm-hmm. and you will either fly or float, and then it will go to California. But if your house is in the circle eye, you are doomed. That was it. That was his take. I didn't know he knew the word doomed, uh-huh. and it was used in you know of appropriate context. So. I feel like I, I don't want there to be more doomedness associated with a hurricane, but I do think a hurricane would potentially be cooler if the eye involved you being more instead of less doomed. I think you might have something there. <laughs> well, I think that is accurate. Uh, when I was, uh, does he know which direction a hurricane spins, by the way? Does, does Jules? Yeah. No. Okay. I, I don't think so at all. Okay. He's not that, he's lucky to have used even the right the term. word doomed <laughs> yeah uh my I, I i was for some reason dredged up a memory of being uh it's some sort of like a you might have been there you know how we would occasionally end up in a classroom because of some homeschool co-op reason like the time that the guy injected a crawfish full of caffeine and killed it in front oh, yeah, of all I of us still tell that story hey i'm glad you were there yeah we both have that story that okay yeah amazing story now if you watch the crawfish is <laughs> Pulse is going to go way faster, and the crawfish just stops moving. <laughs> and they're like, well, okay. And that was after they had ripped off the back of the crawfish, claiming that crawfish didn't feel pain the way <laughs> we did, which seems 
to this day very questionable. Um, the uh, there was a lady uh, uh, telling us about uh, meteorology, and uh, there was a spe- because it's Pensacola. I remember there was a special segment in the meteorology lesson about the hurricanes that was. Um, I guess I was maybe like eight. And she said, can anybody tell me which direction a hurricane spins? And I don't know why I was feeling punchy because I'm not normally a like volunteer and answer kind of dude. Maybe she called on me. I don't know. Anyway, I answered wrong. (laughs) 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 It's like, it's a, it's like, first of all, there's probably pictures of hurricanes in the room that I could have, you know, checked for reference. And also it's a coin flip regardless. Yeah. It's a 50, 50 proposition here. For some reason that's always stuck with me. I felt I remember my mom being like, oh, Cam, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, don't they spin clockwise in the southern hemisphere? Is that not true? Uh, man, if, I, if eight-year-old me had thought to come back up with a, a southern hemisphere, I actually have no idea. Um, <laughs> I think so. Okay. That, I, all I know is that toilets don't spin the opposite way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, our hurricane infested childhood was, is, uh, there's certain things like that are more, obviously more regionally unique than I sometimes realize. Obviously up here, a hurricane is just theoretical. No one here has been in a hurricane. Uh, and, uh. Right. There was a, I grew up next, like underneath an airport, basically, right? Like there were planes flying over our backyard. So you would just cover your ears all the time. Uh, oh yeah. I grew up next to the airport as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I thought I know. it was normal. Yeah, exactly. Like just, Oh, where it was. That's all I ever knew. And like, it is for like a small, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, uh, like here, uh, my old works office was on one of the train lines and you'd walk to lunch. And, uh, the first couple of times I would visit uh, at that office and we'd walk to lunch, I would attempt to continue to talk to someone <laughs> while the train was going overhead. And, uh, you just, you're just an idiot. Like you're yelling cause it's a very loud situation. Eventually you realize that everyone who's used to it, you just sort of like stop you everything just waits for the train. So you're just walking to lunch. You're in the middle of a sentence. You just stop. You're not going to out yell the train. And then eventually the train passes and you continue directly where you were. Like nothing happened. And like, we're, I feel like we used to do basically the same thing in the backyard of like, Oh, planes flying over. Everyone has to cover their ears. Whatever you're doing is on pause for a second. Sort of nice. It's like a, like a mini break. In normal day-to-day life that you would never get. And so you, you sort of are f- normally forced to just handle yourself moment to moment. But then all of a sudden you get this sort of, you know, all right, let's regather ourselves, And then you're back in it. Mm. I, I feel like I, I'm uh, – now I wish I had this. because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, here, Wait my, a my immediate thought is that we should be allotted – I don't know if federally or just at your workplace, you know, maybe two timeouts a day, but just like personal timeouts. And they can be maybe a 10-second timeout uh, or a 30-second timeout. Oh, I see. So, but then you have to, you know, you can't leave. You, you just get to make somebody stand there for the short period. Oh, I see. So... Because I, I was thinking that this would be a sort of like a prescriptive uh, universal timeout um, where you, you sort of enforce uh, the timeout, uh, much like the train going overhead ends all conversation. This is sort of a timeout everyone participates in. But you're saying that I feel like that might be too uh, socialist of us. Um, and you're saying that the, the timeout should be uh, individually mandated and... Uh, and just sort of like, if I need a timeout, I'm just going to yell timeout or like some sort of everyone interacting with you. They have to respect that. They have to respect it. But not only that, it does affect them. Like they have to stop what they're doing. So they don't just switch conversation topics. The whole point is that 
You just need a second to gather yourself. I see. And I here what I would be worried about is that um the the respecting of the timeout has to be enforced uh via some external means I think because I I I can't make you respect my timeout and and if you don't respect my timeout then you you're getting into like <laughs> you know then you're questioning me if if I'm if I'm like if I'd already used my timeouts I'm just yelling timeout over and over again like you know you wouldn't uh, yeah, no, it's it's considered harassment to not honor a timeout. Okay, I mean it's like a you know it's in, it's a legal right you have of some sort. Well, what I'm suggesting is much like the the plane flying overhead or the train going by, there is a um, you sort of have to you have to respect the the silence because uh, the silence is sort of like inherent to the situation. Because the, all the sound is taken up, right? It's silence by way of uh, there being no more space for sound left. So what I'm suggesting is that I, as, as a person who, who needs a timeout, rather than requiring silence, I'm going to, I, I need the means to create all the sound. So you have a like an air horn or some sort of thing that you're just going to set off. Well, it's not, I mean, an air horn is, is first of all, an air horn is not enough frequencies uh, to truly drown out conversation. And secondly, it's, it's needs to be more, uh, I'm thinking more like a white noise machine or maybe like a brown, pink and white noise machine. Like a lot of, I need a lot of frequencies taken up and I need it taken up fast. Um, and maybe, and this right. this also provides sort of a mechanical limitation to the number of timeouts that I have, because if I if my if my machine is is on a timer and uh, you know it's been a, I bought it at the white noise dispensary governed by the feds and it resets every day, you know I can't only have two timeouts because there's only going to be two times a day that my handheld timeout machine uh, delivers 140 decibels of um, of white noise for 10 seconds. That makes sense. I think that you should be able to pick um, <clears throat> customized uh, sounds from a proof sound list. So I think that the, the uh, an actual of, of white sound noise. of train. I mean, I guess we could go with just pure um, frequency selection, but I would think, you know, the sound of a train passing over you is the actual sound that could come out or large jetliner landing or uh, I don't know. What are some of the other, I mean, sub, so it's subtly different, but when you're standing on a subway platform and the train goes by, you know, that's sort of loud enough too, but it's a different type of noise. I think you could really customize it. Well, I think depending on the area of the country you're in, uh, there are different sounds that cause everyone to, stop for a second. And, um, and I mean, a part of this is going to help people, uh, learn to take those moments and really, uh, like, uh, capitalize on them and use them to, to regroup themselves. Cause granted, you know, you, you, maybe a, a jet flies 200 feet over your head. Your first thought is not, I'm going to take this moment to really connect with myself. Um, but if you live somewhere that doesn't have planes, it just might scare the person. Right. And, and, and even when, if you live in the place where it does have planes, that's maybe not your, uh, your usual sort of gathering time, but that's part of the service that we're offering here, uh, is helping you to, to use that time more wisely. Um, and, but you can pull, you know, like regional sounds like, uh, maybe in the, in the, um, in like Utah, uh, the the sound that's going to cause everyone to stop maybe is just like a pack of coyotes, right? Like it's not; it doesn't have to necessarily take up all the sound. But you're not going to continue a conversation if you hear a pack of coyotes howling. That's going to. I've never been to Utah, but I've always imagined filthy with that coyotes. A, that's a common, uh, or at least semi-common experience. They call them coyotes. <laughs> I'd be worried about the coyotes if I were you. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to be worried about the coyotes for 10 seconds. You know what? Except for you, because you're taking some time to yourself. I see. How about for a short city-based one, when large 
uh, vehicles uh, vent their air brakes or whatever the heck goes on with those things. And it's that intense hissing for like five seconds that takes you off guard. Oh, man. At, at living at a like a medium busy intersection in Chicago, I can I mean, there is a broad palette of things that <laughs> are loud for 10 seconds that you can use. Uh, I mean, you've got the train, you've got the, um, you've got, uh, so occasionally, and I'm really, really, I've learned a lot about um, how little I know about uh, road construction from living here. Um, like, uh, when they when they work on the road here, what they'll do is, first, they'll bring in uh, a terrifyingly large circular saw uh, and cut the road up. I'm... I, yeah. Have you seen those things? Like I don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay. they're like a giant concrete, yeah, circular saw, and there's just dust plumes coming up. Right, there's like two two and a half feet in diameter, um, and they they use them very casually here. I mean, maybe I'm just new to city things, but like they're just they're just slung over their shoulders. Yeah, but the, the guy using it's not wearing gloves or helmet or whatever. He's just like driving this giant saw, cutting a swath into the concrete like ten feet from me. So there's that sound, because that's really, you're not getting anything done while that sound is happening. Um, they'll, 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 uh, at that point, they've cut a hole, they'll cut a big con- like a rectangle in the ground, do whatever the hell they needed to do under the road, and then um, they instead of patching it, because I, I assume patching it well is like a different team, so you have like your hole cutting team, I assume probably the like guys that go into the hole and fix the thing team. <laughs> and then the the um, what they'll do after that is lay these huge planks, these huge like a uh, metal planks that are like twelve feet yeah. square. And the but there's a different. I'm, I'm assuming these are all different teams because um, I, I it just seems logical. Uh, they'll just lay the planks down and oftentimes will not like uh, attach them to the to the street with anything. So they make this really fun like gun, yes. gunshot sound when people drive over them? I, I'm, I'm very familiar with this from Houston. Yeah. Uh, they, their road system is so under construction and falling apart that it's – there's metal plates very many places. That's a really good sound for this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking like an 18-wheeler going over like four of those is going to get you a nice, good sort of like staccato uh, – like metal clanking, uh, borderline gunshot sound. But I mean, I, I don't necessarily think we should have gunshot sounds for obvious reasons. But oh, it, I, not unless it's something so commonly heard around your locale that it's not going to cause an immediate panic. Right. I guess we could have. You know, we'll leave that up to the states. Um, but you, uh, yeah. Eventually, they will. Uh, kind of shittily patch down the metal thing with like uh, like blobs of this really weird uh, conk like the the blacktop that doesn't seem to ever really harden all the way. You know that that stuff. It's like tarry blacktop. Yeah, they just sort of like press it down in there. Yeah, they just plop it there, and then like uh, a month later, someone will come back and actually fix the road. Um, but like the, I just don't understand why there are so many steps to fixing a road. I've seen this happen. Like they've rebuilt the curbs around here and they'll just, one person will come in and strip the blacktop and the next guy will come in and they'll, uh, do, you know, they'll cut a hole in the blacktop and the next guy will come in and they'll lay better blacktop, but then they will like fuck up the curb and then someone else will come and lay blobby tar all over the curb and then someone else will come in and like pour new concrete for the sidewalk part of the curb. And then finally they'll fix the curb. It's like the last step. But they did this <clears throat> like a block from my work. And uh, like the sidewalks are all new and they look really nice. And they, uh, they you know, they replaced all the blacktop. And then one, the next day I came in and they cut a hole in the brand new blacktop to like do something. And like, I don't know if they like messed up or if this is just like, I was like, man, this street looked so good. You guys did it. <laughs> like everything's fine. No, it's like the machine exists to give the machine more things to do. It's uh, very, it's not, it reminds me of Brazil. 
Yeah. The, oh, uh, yeah. The, the movie. I mean, there are, I mean, I, my understanding is that in China, there are buildings that are built in order to be torn down by the companies that need buildings to tear down. Um, I, I believe that. Yeah. I, I've never heard that specifically, but yeah. My, my friend's uh, economy professor claimed that. Uh, so I'm not like speaking as a voice of authority there, but it seems fairly plausible. <laughs> no one can deny you this. No job. one can deny so it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, ooh, I banged the table. Um, if, it, oh. it is fairly impressive, though, um, that we've got to the point where, like, we don't just sort of pour some concrete and make it flat enough. There's some extensive, well-thought-out ways that these things are put together. I think there's a good sign of civilization. Oh, yeah. Know? I I I'm I'm thrilled that my street has resurfaced at all and that all of these things work uh it's it you know <laughs> but is it creating enough noise is oh. our real question yeah uh, so we're I I think that there are noise sources that are sort of contextual to an area uh that that so like I mean Chicago we've we've hit on a few here we've got from the south you have uh, you know, or from any place with an airport or like a very airplane heavy area, like a Pensacola, the blue angels would practice. And that sort of like distributes oh, the sound everywhere. Right. Yeah. Especially when I was working down there closer to where they practice, I would be stopping to get onto, um, base and roll down my window at seven thirty AM, which is very early for me. <laughs> And they buzz that gate, I'm certain, on purpose because people are rolling down their windows. <laughs> but they'll be practicing, and then it'll just be like, wow. And, uh, yeah, it will wake you up. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to have to use that at work. So so you go and you get, I'm assuming this will also happen at the DMV. We're really, like, getting a lot done at the DMV. Um and you you get your uh you get your uh your quiet time. Well, it's not really a quiet time, I guess, at this point, but your personal It's a mentally quiet time. Right. Your your personal independence uh uh generator. Um and then and you know, it it's you've got two clicks on that that bad boy. Um and you know, you're in the middle of a tense situation, you're 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 frustrated uh, you're trying to defuse, <laughs> you, you know, defusal is a big part of this, right? Here's, the, here's this amazing image that we're now conjuring. You go to like a large place like a DMV where almost everyone's going to be mildly stressed. And there's going to be an absolute unending cacophony of timeout sounds. <laughs> Not really. Well, I mean. Streaming from everyone. Only from people, only from noobs. Only from people who haven't, you know, you, you'll learn that you have two How of those things. How often do you have to be at the DMV? I mean, like, that is the time to use it. So, <laughs> I'm just, yeah. It's, it's well, tr true. That actually, uh, if you look at it a certain way, especially once people sort of, like, uh, shift their mindset to really, to really appreciate what, what this device is providing them, the DMV is going to be the most peaceful place. Um, around well, yeah. If you look at it that way, I mean, this is two per day. Two for I'm, I think two. I mean, you had said two per day. I'm open to uh, yeah, incentivizing no, fine, yeah. more. I mean, there, there could be a you know obviously I can a see how structure. this could be like a really great device for passive aggression in the spousal relationship. <laughs> uh, see, the passive. Uh, uh, we need to start reframing these terms because passive aggression. You're you're just taking some me time. That's not passive aggression. That's that's oh, you're, not inherently, but you know you could use the timing to be very passive aggressive with it. Yeah, but then then like then, then you're you're oops, I hit my microphone. But then you're 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 wasting this time that you could be indulging yourself on uh, in sort of weaponizing it against the other you know, you know what people are going to oh, tell you Oh I agree like it's 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 a it's a failed use of what you could have used otherwise but isn't that just like the most human thing to do Yeah I don't know if we can qualitatively enforce uh people's uh usage of their 
uh, you know, if some yeah, pe- but some people are going to misuse uh, is this sort of like uh, the this federal uh, you know uh, provision, and mm-hmm. and we can't we can't deny this this uh, we can't deny this service to everyone just because some small percentage of the populace is going to misuse it. That's true. I think that it. It's a good example of just a new um, a new thing that people can know about you. It says a lot about your personality, how you use your sound. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be like a jerk with it, I mean, it's just a, you know, there's other ways that people would have known that anyways. But if you're really thoughtful about it, you know, people will say, say that. They're like, oh, have you met um, Cam? Yeah, he's... He's really thoughtful with his timeouts. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's really it's really awesome. Yeah, you can. I mean, a, a truly. A, I mean, your, your timeouts can be a gift that you give to really everyone around you. Right. You might see somebody is stressed out, and you don't even need a timeout, and you're like, "I got you." It's, oh man, and you only have two. Per, if you give one of your timeouts. Of course, yeah, that's uh, what I'm let's, let's be honest. When you hit that button, it's gonna, it, you're giving it to everyone within about a 50-foot radius um, minimum. <laughs> but, uh, but still, being able to provide that on, on demand to somebody is, is awfully nice. Yeah. All right, add it to the list. Yeah. I'm a, uh, oh, also, and really... I, I think that the weaponization of the timeout is is uh, a short term problem because if there's one thing that we've learned or that I've learned from the airplane thing, right, or the um or the train thing, is that you know the first half dozen times the train went over and I I tried, attempted to talk over it, but um, humans are very good at dealing with <laughs> extreme inconvenience. Right, and eventually I'm going to stop y- trying to yell over that train, and I'm just going to do what everyone else does, which is uh, just fold. <laughs> like that's and people will people will uh, bend and bend and bend without breaking when it comes to being inconvenienced. Um, so I, I think that initially you might have a little bit of passive aggression and stuff like that, but eventually. People are going to hit that timeout button, and everyone within fifty feet is just going to give up for ten seconds because that's just what's going to happen. Now it's going to work. People are, if an inconvenience is common enough as to be expected regularly, people treat it as normal, and it doesn't matter how absurd it is. It's it, it shows what's really going on underneath, which is that how upset we get about something or how it affects us is merely our own perception of how we should react to the thing. Hmm. This is a very, uh, it seems deep. Well, it is. (laughs) It shows up in a lot of different, um, like practical life philosophies. So, so so what, what's the next step? So like what we've, everyone has their, uh, their, their, their device, um, say we have these locked at two a day. I feel like that's a, you know, if we're going to change that number, it's going to have to be a federal mandate and that's going to be, you know, like a, a lot to deal with. Uh, so maybe eventually there'll be like a constitutional amendment to give you a third or maybe a second and a half because there's going to have to be some sort of a, you know, a compromise. Maybe you get a five second going, one. Are we going to make this for rich people now? Oh no no no! This is where you can uh, just buy extra ones. Oh no! I, I was where I was going with this is that I think that once we've uh, once this concept of this time of the timeout has really taken hold in the public consciousness and it's become sort of a social moray, right? It's a it, United States, obviously cultural leader of the world in a, a ton of areas, and now we've while well, we've broken new ground into the world of mandatory timeouts, um, and now people know. People will eventually know, right? The, the the learning process might take, I don't know, a generation or two. Um, but eventually, the timeout's just going to be part of existence. And at that point, we can start deploying it sort of outside the the the, um, the personal window, sort of at a cultural level, right? So, you, you see? So, like, 
maybe uh, maybe your workplace enforces a timeout. Now, you know, we've moved outside the scope of the personal into the scope of the uh, sort of like public. Oh, like as a benefit? Yeah. Different places will provide those kinds of things? Right. So like, I, you know, public squares uh, might have a, a, like a morning and an evening timeout just like, uh, you know, as an, an added benefit. So like you don't have to create 140 decibels of jet plane noise for you know, 10 seconds. I always imagined that that's how some um, Muslim people felt about the prayer times with the really loud, you know, right. bullhorn speakers that apparently they all use on the on those spinnerets by by their mosques or whatever. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I definitely know that growing up, you know, in whatever cultural context, that's got to be one of those things. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you're down for praying, but it's just, it's happening. You can't stop it. And there's nothing you can do to like carry on anything else you were doing. You know, that's a really interesting one. And I, I want to be, I'm going to tread very carefully here because that, that I believe comes from a place of like, you know, devotion and, um, and a tremendous amount of respect and, and like a sort of unified, uh, sort of unified direction that the religion that is my background certainly doesn't possess at that level. Um, but without, you know, without treading into that area, I think that there is a sort of like a secular American version of that, um, that we're sort of putting out here where instead of a call to prayer, right. Or instead of a, uh, instead of uh, any sort of like, you know, we, we, this is supposed to be a time of uh, you being able to check out. Like people aren't supposed to be able to talk during this time. People aren't supposed mm-hmm. to be able to bother you. So if we make it pleasant, if we make it musical or even a call to prayer, like, first of all, we don't want to get anywhere near uh, offending people of any religion. This is not a religious exercise. This is purely uh, sort of a personal psychological benefit. Um, second of all, we we can't, risk it being participatory because that defeats the entire purpose of, of the, the, the product and of the experience. So, but I do think that there is a point down the line where maybe, maybe the, the personal uh, like timeout uh, devices uh, in, in uh, more concentrated population areas, you don't even need your personal timeout device anymore because we have timeout towers you know that, that, and then maybe that you know it's, that just periodically go off. Yeah, it's just periodically, and and that's you know going to be defined by the alderman or whatever. Um, maybe well, let me blow let me blow your mind then because okay, if you're on a military base, they I don't know if this is true of all, but I know some. Um, as soon as the sun rises, they put the flag up mm-hmm. and they blare the song. I'm not even gonna. Is it revelry? I don't know. The taps. But it, no, wait. It's not taps. It's, it's a, revelry. And even Sorry, in night, is, it's not taps as well. It's some other thing. It's much more It's revelry. Either way, okay. I don't know. Anyway, when the, the flag goes up at sunrise, uh-huh. whenever that occurs, they, they play very loudly across the entire base on speakers the song, and everyone stops and looks towards where the flag is. Everyone. Cars stop. Walk anyone walking outside stops, turns, stands there. Um, you don't have to do anything; you just have to do that. Right. And then at sunset, they take the flag down. Same thing happens. Different song. It's it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it's not necessarily participatory, but everyone has to, at a moment's notice, physically stop all activities for a very loud sound that goes on around them. See, and that's, I, I think that just doing that twice is it, like, that's a very powerful uh, technique that, that the military base is using. And first of all, I mean, it makes total sense that the troops would be at the forefront of um, sort of pro- cultural progress uh, of the country that's at the forefront of cultural progress of the world. Um, so salute. Uh, metaphorical to that bleeding edge bleeding edge literally sometimes and i think that the uh the fact that we're only doing that twice uh is is we're just now we're just now taking our first baby steps into this world of um 
per- prescriptive large scale uh, noises. I, f- I feel like there's there's so much more that can be done there. Um, I live in a house that has a constant level of large scale noise in that three boys create mm-hmm. a a base level of large scale noise. So I think maybe I've created a monster I want to destroy at this point. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, your your boys, I know that you're somewhat being literal here, but uh, also at the same time, we were able to record this podcast. So there is a level of noise that, that this service would provide um, that would certainly cow even the even the noisiest boys. Well, I'll tell you when I would use it. Mm. Now, I try to appreciate the fact that I still have kids that call me daddy all the time, right? Because that is endearing, and it's not going to be something in my life forever. But they have this way of using daddy, you know, a hundred times in a minute for every conceivable reason. Daddy, daddy, look at this. Daddy, look at this. Daddy, Mm -hmm. look at this. Daddy, help me do this. And at some point, you want you you definitely need a like a daddy timeout just for a second. You want to help them, but like you're men- you're mentally only able to handle so much request for attention at a time. Well, I mean, that's ex- that is exactly what this is for. And really maybe two is not enough for a parent. Maybe you maybe you have like a child uh to, you know, like you save on your taxes with children. Maybe if you have you know, dependents. You get an extra timeout per dependent per day. I don't know. I mean, like, it's your kids. If it's just you and your house, I mean, I think you can just do whatever you want. Oh. I think people would be selling white noise systems, like alarm systems would come with this, where speakers are all across the house um, so that you could activate these as a home timeout system. Oh, I see. Well, that within your home, you know, it's. Okay, it's frowned upon to use it with uh, other non-family members in the house. That, 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 yeah, that that would make sense. I mean, the one you know, you get your your government allotted uh, timeouts, but if you you know you want to, you can have timeouts as much as you want in on your own property, uh, in your own house, as long as the speakers are pointed inward, you know, and you don't get complaints from the neighbors. Although they probably wouldn't complain; they probably appreciate more timeouts. Archer will yeah. Archer will um, oh tap me. He doesn't do a lot of like daddy 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 daddy, but he will he will he will. That's more subtly psychologically <laughs> in, in, intense. It is though. insanely. Tap, tap, it is. Tap, tap, it really tap, is. Tap. No, it's like bap 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 bap. And I'll be talking to Shannon at dinner. I already feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it's remarkable how long he'll keep up a tap like that before you find out what he needs, and half the time he will have forgotten. Uh, in the other half, it will be a rhetorical question around his pinball table. <laughs> like, Daddy, Daddy, do pinball tables have a three-ball multi-ball? Which is not like a... He like, just wants can me to, they? Yeah, he just yes. do they. Yeah, he'll ask me, like, factual questions about pinball he already knows because what he's trying to do is start a conversation where I give him pinball, in, like, opinions. Um, yep, I definitely know that technique. He's, stand, um, he's standing here in his robe are, looking at me. <laughs> kids are intensely uh, persistent. And I I get it. Like, everything in their life is focused down into a couple things. Like, they only have a couple things to engage with. And they have all the energy that they'll ever have at the highest level. And they don't know so many things. That um, yeah, it combines to make these little intensity monsters. Yeah, if, uh, getting when he does focus on something like he built the uh, he built the Labo house the mm-hmm. other day. Uh, he built the piano, which is the hardest yeah, I thing saw to build. That. That was cool. Yeah, that was hella cool. And like all I did was put the um, I put the little uh, stickers on it on the inside. Like there's little like reflective mm-hmm. stickers. He built the house uh, in the he probably under the time. A, like allotment they give you like 180 to 210 minutes or something to build the house and i think he was like right in that window and i did not help at all other than the stickers but like that's it's almost impossible to get him to sit and watch an entire movie but he will sit there for three hours and fold cardboard 
um, when given specific instructions to do so. So occasionally I can channel that intensity into a fairly indefinite amount of focus, but it's very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) We made it halfway through uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, and then we... Book or movie? uh, The movie, the movie. He's yeah, I mean the book. I, Both are good, actually. I, I'm considering maybe reading him the book. Um, it's real short too. I think you'd like it. Yeah, he was. He, I think he was in, into the movie, but that movie also was tonally all over the place, and maybe not like the greatest execution of the source material. No, I mean I don't know that it. I guess when I say that, I thought it was an objectively entertaining movie, and I don't know how easy it is to translate the feeling of the book into a movie so you know hey if as long as you didn't like screw it up too bad good job yeah it wasn't it was it was it isn't like so far off the mark that i don't want to want to protect him from it or do it sam rockwell is in it he's perfect in uh, it yeah he's great yeah sam rockwell is great yeah i did you uh did your parents enforce book before movie policy no i haven't i've never even heard of that being enforceable. Mm. No, my parents were really big on making sure that I read a book before I watched the movie. Uh, I don't, I think that that makes sense on a case by case basis. Certainly. Yeah. I'm now, and well, what it was, what I actually think it results in is a lot of movie disappointment because you finally see a movie and it's, you know, some subset of a book. Uh, right. Or they were also big on not letting me read like revised versions, like kids uh, abridged, abridged versions. versions of books. Like yeah. we had no abridged versions growing up. I had abridged versions of classical books, but it was when I was a lot younger, and um, they were. I mean, it's not abridged. It's like you know, thirty pages, uh, small pages with pictures. Oh, like but they were classics. For young kids, actually, now that I think about it, it would sort of be cool. Winston's almost too old for that now, but yeah, I mean, like books that you would never have your kid read for a very long time, but like shrunk down into the actual story. I did like that, but I don't like still long books that they just pulled stuff out of. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're like fake versions of the hardback, right? Like, oh, it's it's like. Uh, it's Moby Dick, but it's 30% of what actual Moby Dick is. All right. Well, you picked the one book that you all sort of wish there was an abridged version yeah. of. It's great, but you're like, this is so long. Like, it keeps going. Is it great? I read Moby Dick too early. I read it when I was 12 or 13, I think. And my dad's like, it's the great American novel. My dad reads exactly zero novels a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my dad saying that uh, ZZ Top is a. Um, it's like oh, our rock and roll is just three chords. ZZ Top's the old, the little old band from Texas, and all this stuff. My dad plays almost like two chords on guitar and knows nothing about any bands from Texas. Instead of in, <laughs> yeah, you just take ZZ these Top. sort of cultural aphorisms about how things are the way they are, and you just go with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think. Because I've had, I'm a very slow reader, and so I have to take extra time to decide whether or not to invest in reading a thing. And so classics, because they're classic, I've come to the decision that, while I think if it's so widely agreed upon as a classic, most books have a value to them. It's rarely just the same value, so you sort of sometimes might even have to read up on why they're supposed to be good so that you don't necessarily miss it. And I think that's valid. Like totally. Sometimes when somebody points something out to you, you're like, oh, wow, that totally reframes how I'm checking this out. But yeah, I'm like, look, it, it doesn't say something bad about me that I'm going to just not read this because I have to make some kind of decisions and if you really aren't enjoying it and you're doing it as like, I need to have read this, I think, you know, at this point in my life, I don't think that's a good use of my time either. Right. And and I think that uh, it, books are strange like that. Like I have, we have lugged our library from apartment to apartment and we've lived in six or seven places now. I mean, we've moved a lot and uh, every place I've <laughs> 
dragged these like dozens of boxes of books and set them all up. And I like a lot of them. I've read, I would say, seventy or eighty percent of what's on the shelf. That number might be lower now because Shannon keeps buying new releases and stuff that I don't read. Um, and a lot of it I haven't read since high school. But like, it's all the, the there, and there are certain things that I haven't finished. But like, I still have. They're still up there. <laughs> like I have <laughs> Gravity's Rainbow and Infinite Jest so sitting there on top of one another, uh, and I made it about ten to twenty percent into both of those books. And I think about that sometime, and it's like I could get rid of these books, but I don't like getting rid of books unless I like actively dislike them. And I read enough of them to make like snide jokes about them. <laughs> <laughs> You read enough that people assume you've read the book from the amount of knowledge. Oh yeah, you have about all you got to do is you got to make a tennis joke and a joke about footnotes, and you're good on Infinite Jest, basically. Yeah, and and then like, who can prove otherwise? Like nobody remembers the whole books that they read. It's like, oh yeah, it's been a while, but I'm gonna throw you a couple bones. I for years, Moby Dick was like my throughout high school. That was my least favorite, actually, my second least favorite book. Um, because I had been sold at being like the great American novel, but no one, this, this idea of context that you're saying is, is so incredibly important, right? Like oh, yes. I read the stranger by Camus after you having me read it. And if I didn't, if I just read it context free, like it's a fine story with a couple of turns in it that I thought were interesting. And like, it, yeah, and you, you're vaguely are like, so what was I supposed to be yeah, thinking about on this? It was good. And I, I enjoyed my time with it, but like reading about it afterwards, like in, you know, reading cultural context and other people's opinions and kind of like the impact of that book over time, those are all very important parts of like getting more information. I had none of that with Moby Dick. I was told it was a cool story about like a Captain Ahab and a white whale and that it was the great American novel. And I read it and I was 13 and it was excruciatingly long and I don't remember anything about it. And there were all sorts of words I didn't know and I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) And that could be all you ever knew about it. Well, reading like I, I was, I mean, I I read a lot of books, but I did not um, like, I regret this all the time. Uh, you know, I forget if we mentioned on the podcast, but like you and I uh, went to the junior college as high schoolers to get double credit, dual enrollment, college and high school. And that mm-hmm. that literature before 1750 class that we took was the last literature class I ever took. Uh, because then I had enough. Oh credit. Yeah. yeah, you have mentioned this. I don't know if you mentioned it on the podcast. Well, the, the, my my my, I never got to sit in a circle with like other earnestly learning like college students and talk about the Moby Dick or or any anything really modern, right? Anything after 1750. Um, and I'm so jealous of Shannon because she took like actual literature classes and got to have those conversations. Meanwhile, I'm like. Uh, scrounging through the Liberty University uh, library for like Dostoevsky and stuff, which, by the way, at least at the time, Liberty University's library was all stuff that had been donated there by other places because Liberty uh, cuts every corner that they can. So the whole library was books stamped with, uh, you know, various churches and uh, library systems and stuff. Did they? Did Liberty have a, a extensive library? I mean, was there a lot of things in there across the cultural spectrum or was it a controlled library? Man, I'm, I'm sure it's very controlled. I, I couldn't tell you really. I, I went in there looking around and I'm, I mean, they had spin magazine. I would hang out in the library, read spin, read about the strokes. Um, <laughs> and I would get like, uh, you know, design books and, and, uh, and literature, but like, I don't, I don't know if they're like stocking anything remotely questionable. I would guess not. But we may never know. Huh. Yeah, I, there's uh, Ray Bradbury wrote. Um, he wrote the screenplay for the Moby Dick film in the 70s, I think. And he wrote a book about hanging out in Ireland 
like experiencing Ireland and, and being inspired to write the screenplay for Moby Dick. And I would say that instead of reading Moby Dick, everyone should just read Green Shadows, White Whale by Bradbury, because then you don't have to read Moby Dick, but you do get to experience how much Ray Bradbury loves Moby Dick because he adores Moby Dick. And he's so enthusiastic about it from the whole book. By the time you get to the end, you're just like, wow, Moby Dick is just the most inspiring thing ever. Um, I was unable to challenge. I was unable to like channel his enthusiasm into motivation to read Moby Dick again. But I felt like I got. I felt like I got. I had more fun like watching him have a good time. Uh, yeah, I think you've accomplished all you ever need to accomplish for that book. So your only goal now is to, at some point, too early on in his reading career, tell Archer to read the Great American it's novel. The Great American throw, novel. Throw Moby, Moby Dick at him. Clunk. Here you go. All right, I'm going to turn on some DC ZZ Top. <laughs> I almost said DC Talk. DC Talk. They're the great, great Texas rock and roll <laughs> band. Talk.